Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz trumpeter, composer, arranger, and educator, Etienne Charles. These days, he is heavy into promoting his new 2016 album called The San Jose Suite. He grew up in Trinidad, he was raised in Florida, and these days he resides in the jazz mecca of New York City. He learned some great lessons at Florida State and the Juilliard program in New York, along with teachers like Masters Frank Foster and Benny Golson. He's gone on to release quite a few albums already. He's played with many luminaries, and he loves jazz. He talks about all of this and much more, so dig this interview, my friends. So I'm going to go ahead and start off here. I know you're real clear about what's going on in your world, but in your own words, give me kind of a snapshot of activity that's going on. I know you got your new 2016 album, San Jose Suite, but along with that, give me an idea of what's going on. Yes, it's about that, man. I'm, I'm in the process of writing new music as well for another project. So that's that's my world. And we're touring with the San Jose Suite right now. We're playing, also still playing music from Creole Soul, our previous album. That's what we got going on. Right on. So how do you feel about this album? What Talk to me a little bit about the creative input that went into this album and how you feel about the final product. You know, we I did a lot of research into writing the music you know, in terms of, you know, cultural influences and, and social influences and historical influences. And then from that, then I sat down and wrote the music. Um, um, it feels good, you know. It, it, was a, it was a long process. And I'm I'm happy with the result, you know. It was, it was very moving because, you know, when I listen to the music, I actually see and feel the people that I met along the way. And I feel their stories coming through in the music. Talk to me about growing up in Trinidad and then moving to Florida and how you got that music bug in you, not only just for music but for jazz. Um, I mean, I grew up, you know, I grew up in a a household where music was played all the time on, on recordings. So... So I was able to, from an early age, start deciphering what different sounds were, what different songs were, who different artists were. And um, I got a trumpet when I was 10. Before that, I sang in the choir and played the recorder. Um, and then, yeah, I got a trumpet when I was 10. And started playing trumpet in the Brass Institute, and then I started playing percussion as well, a little bit after that. And so I moved to Florida when I was 19. And um, I, I I started getting into jazz maybe a couple of years before that. Maybe when I was about 17 or 16, I started getting into to jazz. Was there an album growing up that was real key for you that you remember that really kind of swayed you? I mean, the, the album that got me hooked on jazz was, was Blue Train by John Coltrane, but I didn't listen to that till I was in till I was in university. From an early age, would it be safe to say that music was your path, or did you have other dreams? Um, no, nah, I mean, I basically uh, was always about music. I didn't really have much else going on. Um, so, yeah, that, that was basically it for me. Right on. Let, let me ask you this. In, in your years of formal education at Florida State and the Juilliard program, what did you learn about music in those formal environments that helped you so much now as a professional musician? I mean, you know, the curriculum was very vast at both schools. Um, both schools had, um, had in addition to great instrumental training and proposition training, but they also were very big on, you know, teaching composition and arranging, um, which was very important. You know, I mean, for me, the best part of being at those schools was just access to information. Like, you know, Florida State had a vast library, 
with a bunch of recordings and every single downbeat magazine that ever been pub that had ever been printed and every single um Jazz Times magazine you go down the list. So it was, you were able to learn, you know, historical elements of the music while listening to the music as well. Um then at Juilliard, same thing, you know, they had a lot they had a great access to records and you also in New York, you know, so you're around you're around a certain caliber of people. I mean the the, the best part of the school really are, are both at both schools were the faculty. Um, you know, Florida State was Leon Anderson, Marcus Roberts, Scotty Barnhart, Bill Peterson, Bill Kennedy, um, Brian Gable, and then at, at Juilliard, you had, you know, everybody, you know, my, my direct professors were Mark Gould, Joe Wilder, Chris Jowdis, and then Victor Goins, Wyclef Gordon, and, um, Rich DeRosa taught a range of, and so, you know, they were, they were very helpful in, in just showing us what, you know, what they had been through and what they had done, and, you know, the music business classes at both schools were very helpful as well. So, I mean, it was really, you know, it was really great. I mean, but on top of that, you know, is what you do outside of school that you really learn a lot on, you know, specifically on the bandstand. It was just a healthy combination of everything that kept us going. Talk to me about when you came to New York for the first time. What kind of culture shock was that? You're you're in the international capital of jazz. What was going through your mind when that happened? Well, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't much of a culture shock at all because, I mean, I've been the first place I ever went to in the U.S., was New York when I was four years old to visit family. So, so I, I, you know, and I had been going to New York regularly from since then to visit family and visit friends and all those types of things. So by the time I got to New York, it was like, okay, finally I get to, to be here for more than a couple of weeks, more than a, you know, a few weeks. Um, I think the thing that, that hit me the most about New York at first was just, you know, how quickly time flies. You know, like the clock actually moves quicker in New York because there's just more people in a in a smaller space. But that you know that was in a sense a culture shock. You know how expensive things were was a culture shock as well. Um, you know, people have all these ideas about New York and about New Yorkers, but you know, to me, New Yorkers are some of the best people out there. You find so many people that are, that are there to pursue their craft and to pursue their passion, and and you know that that creates a great energy in New York, and so. So yeah, it was it was fun to to be able to live there and be a part of that experience. It looks like everything worked out really well. You know, you started gigging with cats like Johnny Mandel, Went Marsalis, the Count Basie Orchestra, Maria Schneider. What was it like to hop into environments with such seasoned individuals? I mean, it was a learning experience, and in, in nutshell, you know, it was a, a foot in the ass in a sense. Because, you know, it's basically on-the-job training. That's you know, a lot of people don't understand that that's what music is. You know. Yeah, it's always on the job training, you know, because everybody wants something different out of you, you know. You know, some people hire you for you, but a lot of times it's a combination of them hiring for you, but then also hiring them for what they want you to do. You have to, you have to be able to straddle pretty well that line. So I mean, it was great. Maria is a great composer, very inspiring. Wilson um, is, you know, the legend. I mean, you can always Ralph McDonald, Monty Alexander, Marcus Roberts, Marcus Miller. Yeah, they, they've all been very inspirational and, and and they've all been guiding forces in my career so far so I'm, I'm grateful so the one thing that's very clear about your career is that you've been rather prolific you already have six albums what is this about how do you feel about your output do you feel like it's prolific do you feel like you're on a regular track as as a jazz musician or how do you feel about your output I feel like, you know, you know, years ago I just set a goal saying, you know, I'm going to try to record an album every two years. And um, that's what we've done. I mean, some people call it prolific. I, I don't really see it as that. I just see it as, you know, 
I mean, an album is basically just a, a audio picture of, of what's going on musically in a in, in a in a in a band's realm at a time. We continue to grow, and and as a result, we continue to to record to you know to keep you know to keep you know. And as we learn things, as we learn songs, as we learn stories, as we learn history, as time changes, as life changes, as events get tense or not, we move forward. And so, I mean, I won't really consider it prolific. I'm grateful for for the for for people who think that. Um, but, I mean, Wayne Shorter, somebody like Wayne Shorter turning our album after album, Horace Silver, album after album, Monk turning our album after album, and those, you know, for me, those are the, those are my heroes, and, you know, and, and they were extremely prolific in their abilities to not only write, but to record and perform a tour. And, that, and I'm, I'm just continuously striving to, to keep that as the, I mean, I, I strongly believe that jazz is about a dialogue between the artist and society at the core. And that dialogue can be through composition, improvisation, etc., and of course performance. And so, as long as as long as things continue to change as as they will, the music needs to continue to grow and and come out so that people can know what's going on. So you're a teacher as well as a performer and a recording artist, and you know sometimes we're only as good as the advice or the shoulders that we stand on. What teachers gave you advice or teaching, so to speak, that you really remember that resonates with you to this day? Oh, my many, many teachers. My um, Marcus Roberts was very clear in um, teaching me how to listen for certain things within a student's abilities and immediately quickly trying to figure out what you can help them get better with. Rodney Whitaker um, was really inspir- ins- inspirational and instrumental in in and showing me the way to make sure that classes are organized in certain ways so that so that this so that the students are always being pushed to grow. You know, Diego Rivera just in terms of paying attention to detail and and, and designing exercises. Um and then I mean even the um, just the pedagogues and the, the, the technique books that I studied and just knowing the stories about those teachers like Max Flossberg who designed exercises based on what was given his students trouble. Um and that's something that I try to do as well, just in order to continuously write exercises based on what is actually set in the studio back. Rich DeRosa, uh, who was my arranging and composition teacher at Julia, I, I modeled my arranging class very similarly to his arranging class just because it was the way I learned it. And I, and I, I thought it was a very structured, simple way of, of presenting the material to students. And so I immediately adapted that. I mean, there's so many different different elements. Rodney Jordan and Leon Anderson, who were my jazz small group teachers at Florida State, and them being, you know, um, hands-on but hands-off at the same time and just, you know, presenting us with a task and saying, okay, here's the album. Here's Ugetsu by Art Blakey. We're going to play this in rehearsal on Friday. And we had to go home and learn the music. And um and, and just seeing seeing the process of just giving someone a task and knowing that they are gonna knowing as a teacher that they are gonna learn simply by having to do this. So you know those are some of the most valuable things that I learned as a teacher from some of my mentors. So as a teacher, what is your goal? What are you wanting to do with your students? What do you want them I mean, to take my, away? I mean, my goal is really just to train the next generation of artists, citizens. Really, at the core, is to train people. In addition to, you know, their instrumental ability and their ability to improvise and write, but also their ability to decipher and navigate situations as people um, understanding um, the layout of a society that they might go into to live. You know, you know, not everybody's going to end up in New York or L.A. or Chicago or 
one of these big cities, but knowing how to navigate and make sure that you know what music is for and how you can use music to help people. For me, those are more important. Those are more important tools that that musicians can have. And so, you know, I definitely, you know, I try to make sure that they're able to, you know, navigate the trumpet. I know all the scales. I know their etudes and they have to, you know, they have to know solos. They have to be familiar with Louis Armstrong, Stasio, all of us style. Because you can actually come from Bob Miles Davis, Fox Navarro, Kenny Dorham, Blue Mitchell, you know, along along with Freddie Hubbard, Nicholas Payton, and Marcellus, Terrence Blanchard, Terrence Stafford, Sean Jones. I could go down that whole list of the jazz trumpet canon of my trumpet students. And um, same thing with the arrangers, you know, knowing about people like Don Redmond and, um, Known about people like Cy Coleman and Duke Ellington and um, Thad Jones, Frank Foster, Frank West, uh, Eddie Wilkins, um, Cy Oliver, and um, you know this is whole, the whole Oliver Nelson, the whole kind of arrangement, Johnny Mandel and Nelson Riddle, and you know, you know, there's a, there's a whole kind of in the arrangement. And then the composer were Horace Silverthorne, this Mark Wayne Shorter, um, Billy Strayhorn. Um, so it, there's a lot that just in terms of information that they have to be able to imbibe and. and and really assimilate instead of just being able to regurgitate. And so that's at the core of my experience as, as just in terms of uh, leading them to the water and drink in terms of information. But on top of that, for me, the real magic is when they're able to take all of that and then they're able to use that to be able to create a dialogue in their audience and, and use music to get to the next generation and to inspire children. And, you know, my students, I encourage them, as soon as they start studying with me, if they already, already have them, I encourage them to go and find the students of their own so that they're able to teach what they're learning as well. You know, you mentioned a lot of people that are considered jazz heroes, and, and you've been very clear about influences and, and who you admire. If you could go back in time and witness any of these folks live, who would you want to go back and see? And where would you go? I would want to go to the Bob Blakey Live of Birdland. I think it was 1954 for Brown, um, Lou Donaldson. So I would love to be there. I have a friend. I have a couple of friends who were there um, at that show. Um, I would have loved to have been to have been at any of Miles' gigs at, at the Plus Nickel or in San Francisco at the Black Hawk. Um, it would have been great to see Ellington and Carnegie Hall. It would have been. I mean. I mean, there's so many. I would have loved to see Monk at the Five Spot. That's just one. I mean, jazz is just just one one part of the spectrum. I would have loved to have seen Harry Belafonte's first gig where he had Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Charles Mingus in the band. You know, so yeah. I mean, that's that's the beauty of history. But luckily for a lot of it, we have recordings, so you you can kind of be there. I mean, Cannibal Adley's quintet in San Francisco, Radio Nights. You know, those types of recordings. You know, Ellington. Uh, you know. Ellington's Sacred Concerts, Ellington's Black, Brown, Brown and Beige. Yeah, it's a bunch. Yeah, that's a, that's a good list, man. Um, you know, you've dedicated your life to jazz, and you, you have a great career going. Tell me why you love jazz. I mean, I love the music because it because it, it's constantly drawing questions about what or why. You know, jazz is really about why. Like, why did this happen? And um, jazz is about jazz is a, a real music. It's really like a mirror. It reflects society. It reflects history. It reflects everything. And and you know, we as musicians, we bask in that role. We have fun with it. You know, it's you know, it's it's intellectually stimulating, but it's also you know, it's pleasing to to some of some, some of the primal primal aspects of of, of human existence, specifically through rhythm and blues. You're able to move people, get them dancing, get them feeling something, get them thinking about someone who they lost or someone who they they know, someone who they love, and it, it, it's a it's an ability to 
to really draw lines in society. We really get to, you know, it, it's fun in that regard. You know, music is a healer. Music is a form of medicine. You know, in some cultures, musicians are like doctors. You know, music is a form of anesthesiology. Music is a form, you know, it's a form of, of taking away pain in a sense. That's what I love it about it. Let me ask you this. In your career, what is the nicest thing a fan has ever said to you? Who does really stand out? One, I was, I'll never forget, I was like 15 or 16. And I was playing in church. And, um, and a gentleman came up to me after the service. And I was walking out with my trumpet in the case. And he said to me, he said, were you the guy playing the, the, the music, the trumpet? And I was like, yeah, that was me. He said, look, I'm not religious. And I didn't normally come to church. I came because it was a family gathering at the church this weekend. But when I heard the music that you all were playing, it brought me closer to God tonight. And it was, I mean, it was, you know, it was a really strong compliment for, for the whole choir. And, um, you know, it was moving. On, and that's kind of around the time that I started really feeling a strong calling towards being a musician. And, you know, I mean, I really like when people come and tell me that this was their first jazz concert and that they have a great time and that they that they want to come out. And all, you know, especially, you know, I have a lot of a lot of friends that that were not jazz listeners that, that come to the show. And then from it, then they go start checking out other artists and start checking out my favorites, checking out Lizzie Gillespie, et cetera. And so it's good to sometimes get to be a bridge towards the music. Right on. So let me ask you this. Everything's going to kind of come down to this question, which was, you know, kind of a part of your essence. Everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, your business associates, those that listen to your music. But when you wake up in the morning, who do you think you are? Um, all of those things, you know, it's, you know, it's life is, you know, if I do get to wake up first thing, I'm just grateful, you know. Yeah. And I think at the core, that, that defines everything, you know, thankful, thankful for life, thankful for music. Thankful for the ability to get to teach. Thankful for the ability to get to play and travel and move and and, and listen and hear and, and see and taste. You know, you know, and feel. And you know, music brings all those things together. And so, I, yeah, at the core, what what do I think about when I'm when I'm waking up in the morning? Is I'm thinking, thank you and wow, you know, and I'm fascinated with this world that we live in and you know, at, at the, the vast scope of humanity and how. How people are this and people are that, but at the same time, we're, uh, you, as different as we can be, as as similar as we can be, and you know, to see people who I know who go from being extremely ordinary to being extremely extraordinary, just from just from stepping on a stage or stepping off of a stage, and and this is not just in music, you know, all forms of art and all forms of life, you know, and so that, but yeah, at the core, yeah, it's really just gratitude is what I would describe. That's a great answer, man. Hey, thank you for taking a little time to talk with me today. Thank you for the music. Thank you. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in New York, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Mr. Charles for his time, his honesty, and all those stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store or visit theneonjazz.blogspot.com for all things neon jazz. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.